to the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Hometown Ticketing is proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA Connection Podcast and to provide schools nationwide with the best options for digital ticketing for their events. Visit their website at hometownticketing.com to learn how they can make digital ticketing possible and simple at your school. Thank you to Hometown Ticketing for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAAA Connection Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the UIAAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. Today we are more than pleased to have Don Bales, CMAA, former athletic director at Lowell High School from Indiana. Don, how are you? And thanks for being on the show today. Well, Mark, it's a wonderful opportunity to be here. I think anytime we have, we're given an opportunity to share our life journey with our constituents, with people out there who seek to grow and uh, seek a life of constant learning, I think it's it's quite a privilege. So thank you for embracing me uh, in this opportunity. Well, it was kind of a no-brainer for me, as you know, Don. So let's let's start by telling our audience sharing with them uh, just a few minutes where you grew up, where you went to college, your first job, kind of your background, and then how you got from probably coaching into becoming an athletic director. Okay, I grew up, uh, well, where I am currently, where I live currently, I'm actually only 12 miles from my original home, a small community, uh, Hebron, um, a rural community. Uh, I ended up there because my father in the community that I live in actually uh, was given an opportunity to grow a business here, an international harvester implement business. And uh, through that, uh, he developed the RCA Whirlpool Lawn and Garden, which ultimately became a place where I began to learn some of my traits in, in organizing and dealing with people. Uh, he had me involved throughout that business as I was growing up, working on Saturdays. But it, in that... Uh, hometown of Hebron, um, it's kind of one of those those things in that opportunity growing up that you're involved in everything in a school. And I think mm -hmm. that's what that's what really became my foundation of understanding that there's more than just the one thing that you have an opportunity to do. Um, I had some real role models that I really followed, some athletic role models, Bob and Bill Smock, <laughs> who went on to, to uh, the uh, University of Indianapolis that its current call at that time was called Indiana Central College. And they were involved in everything in our school and which I ultimately become National Honor Society, student council, three sports, baseball, basketball, track. Uh, and they overlapped during that time. Um, and through, through that uh, influence that Bob and Bill, I, I went on to Indiana Central College and I decided to, I wanted to go into a profession of teaching, of education. Um, I, I guess it was the relationships that I had. I had good experiences being involved in several several different opportunities. And I, and I think that's valuable to understand that when you're involved in something, it's not just about the choice to be involved, but it's about the experience with others. I think it, it leads you in a direction that you wanted to go. Um, and it was from there that uh, during that time, I decided I wanted to, I had a principal, um, uh, a gentleman that came to my dad's store one time and, and uh, he called me in the, my dad's office and he said, what are you majoring? And I said, social studies. And he uh, said, you know, 
there's a dime a dozen for social study teacher out there. Do you have any interest in math? Do you have any interest in science? And I said, a science I do. So I became a biology, <laughs> biology teacher, mm -hmm. as well as health and physical education, which fit the, the role in athletics. Uh, I like driver's education. Let me share driver's education. A high school student for the first time, I had to ride my bike every morning to driver's education a couple miles in, a couple miles back. So I think that kind of was as a link to the driver education part of it, as well as health education. Um, and from there, I was a, it was a teacher at, uh, I became a teacher under this principal, unbeknownst to us at the time, that hired me for sixth and seventh grade uh, science. I want you to tell there's a lot of difference between sixth and seventh grade middle science and biology. It was mm -hmm. my first experience in preparing. And I will share with you, I think I, that's where I developed a, my first ulcer. I think just <laughs> understanding what the structure should be, the activity and the involvement. Um, let me shut that off. But that was, in, that was instrumental in that uh, sixth and seventh grade science. And again, I'll go back. I was asked in the middle school to coach three sports, multi-activities again, cross country, baseball and basketball um, at that time. Now I taught there for five years. And during that time, my fifth year, I was asked to uh, become the varsity assistant in basketball. So I became a varsity assistant. And after one year, there was a position that opened up in my current community in Lowell. And my varsity basketball coach, who was a mentor to me, encouraged me to at least interview for the job and I told him I said I you know I've got middle school one year of varsity assistance you know you want me to interview for a varsity basketball job there and unbeknownst to me I took my wife to the interview and that was the first everybody I felt that she was always going to be part of this journey so her and I both went it was amazing the number of questions that they asked but the bottom line is the next day they called me and said the job is yours you want it so I went to Lowell I coached varsity basketball and and taught there for two years it was in my second year the spring of my second year I was approached by the administration if I had any interest become an athletic administrator now I want to tell you at 29 years old and moving from middle school to high school for two years and all of a sudden AD job, um, I didn't know at first. I, I, I really, I asked him if I could stay as an AD, stay involved. I want to say stay involved with the kids. Could I still sure. teach, teach something? Could I coach? No, it's an administrative position. I turned it down. They came back to me a second time at the end of April and asked if I had a change of heart. And I asked them if they had a change of heart. And they said, no, we have administration. But let me tell you, let me share this story. I went to a basketball clinic in May in the state of Indiana. And it was during that time, the one thing that's about coach and then general leaders. that's an average that's most common. I, I, I really love this community. There's just something about it's unique. It's, and I want to stay. So I came back and I said, you know, I'm going to give this AD a job, a try. I'm 29. I've been asked to do this. And so next thing I knew for the next 29 years, I was the athletic director at Lowell High School. And no AD had been in that position any longer than five years in the history of the school. So I felt 
you know, the kinds of things we did, the innovations, that was, that was something that I really was very proud of, uh, very much so. Um, as far as my athletic path, let me, let me share this. When you grow up in a small community in a country, sometimes it's a little difficult to find ways to uh, enhance, to really enjoy the experience that you want to have. And in my case, was we had a we had some area spaces. I learned. Let me share this with you. I learned to play baseball by throwing a rubber ball into the gap of steps at my mom and dad's home. I would do that for hours and play a game, make it up. I play catch, toss, I toss and turn, but I had my own catcher. I had my own thrower because the ball came back. I had my own, I got the field. I learned how to hit a ball because I had a bat. My dad bought me uh, an old bat and we had a gravel driveway. I threw rocks up and hit rocks across the road into the field. And so there's the kind, and I guess it's those kind of things that when about what you can do for kids. And I think those were the beginnings of the ideas that I, I began to embrace how, how to help kids grow and what they were doing. So from there, I went on to Indiana Central, Indiana, I was Indiana Central College. I played baseball my freshman year. I got cut my sophomore year. And let me tell you, Mark, it was the first time I was not in an athletic program since the fifth grade. Mm. And it, it was like, what am I going to do? So I started running on my own and just conditioning. The track coach at the university stopped me one day and said, why are you not coming off for track? You train harder than anybody on my track team. And I said, coach, I'm not fast enough and I don't have that background, but you know, I'm going in education and teaching. Can there's there some way you will embrace me and take me in uh, to help? And he said, I, I sure can. So he said, you can be my student assistant. And I said, he said, one of the things we need to do is redo our equipment area. And I really, I mean, I redid the entire equipment area, everything else. The next, next fall, the AD at the university called me and said, track coach says, we need to give you some financial aid, but I want you to ask you this, will you do this for the football team? So I became the equipment manager for the football team too. And I continued to run with the track team the next two years. And that's how I learned. And I guess some of my coaches probably regret that I had that kind of skill because I held them quite accountable in their, in their taking care of their equipment throughout all the 29 years as an AD at, at Lowell. Um, so that's kind of my journey uh, in, into college sports and, and as, an, as an AD. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. You shared some things that I didn't know. So let me ask you this question, Don. I know you mentioned... Uh, Bob and Bill earlier, and you mentioned your high school principal, but I'm going to talk for a minute about maybe some mentors in your life. Obviously, a question dear to me speaking with you, because obviously you took me under your wing way back in 1999 when I was just very new in the NIAAA. But who were some of the, the mentors either inside the NIAAA or out that really made a difference in your life? Well, I'm going to tell you right off the bat when you talk outside the NIAAA first. And few would say, maybe say this, but because they live with them every day, but it's my wife. Sure. She, she was well organized. She was a tremendous teacher. She had a great relationship I saw with her kids. Um, she invested in the cloud that and her preparation. She was calm. 
uh, her calmness allowed her to have a great perspective. Uh, she was passionate about her classroom preparation. She had a great love for Christ, and she helped me understand what that did in, in my life, and that had a great impact, and she shared it with me. And, you know, she one thing she taught me is how what family sharing time is all about, what it should look like, even in the life of an AD. Uh, she kept me connected there. I say the second person outside the NIAAA was, has been my best friend for 49 years, Ken Wirtz. Um, I met Ken my, my second semester of my freshman year at the university at Central, Indiana Central. Um, what's unique about Ken is, even though we're friends, he's always the devil's advocate. He's always, always when I share a story, he's got that guy better be ready because he got a question. Well, why did you, why did you do that? Hmm. You know, he, he's challenging me all the time. And at the end, he'll, he'll, he, he, he follows it up after we've had a conversation, whether real intense or whatever, he's always saying, Hey, you know, one thing I liked about you is, and he would go on to be very encouraging. And, um, so he had that knack for challenging the decisions, the innovations, and he was a confidence booster as he also showed me the love for teaching and how he connected students. I will share the third person outside there's my dad. Tell you what, my father, uh, it was getting up at seven o'clock on Saturday mornings. You know, you go to school a week, you think you gotta sit, no, it's seven o'clock, you're going to work with me and we're coming home at five. Mm. Um, but it was during time. My dad, my dad just didn't give me one position during those years. He gave me, he taught me how to do inventory. He was, he involved me in, in the sales of parts. He involved me in service of equipment. He involved me in delivery of parts to, to homes and, and building relationships with people. So it was a multi experience. And he, and he, he never said, I'm doing this, is this, but he said, you need to do this and we're going to have you do this. Um, but with that, he was a stickler for time. I'm telling you, he would say, if you are not 10 minutes early to a given assignment, you are 15 minutes late. Now figure that one out. That's, yeah. that was his line though. And I mean, he stuck to it and he expected you. The other thing is he never wanted excuses. You be, he helped me understand you be accountable for your, your decisions. When you learn to be accountable, then you don't waver. Then you look and you look how you should invest in it. You look to see what should be part of that decision. You don't make a decision until you've got some information. And that's the way he was. He also was a risk taker. Mark, I shared with you that he started a business. My yeah. father didn't have a nickel in his pocket when he started a business in 1959. And he grew a business that became very very lucrative. I mean, he didn't have anything, but he taught, he was a risk taker. I, and, and he knew that the next person is my mother. And here's the part of teaching that is important. She taught us that reading is important. She spent a lot of time. We were reading so frequently with her. She would sit down and we had read a book every night, something of some kind. And we saw the love that she grandchildren grandchild she had she, the time she would take she would go to every event she she just was invested in kids and what that meant to kids and she would talk about what it meant to her 
that was instrumental in and it still is today when I think about the investments I had with kids, student athletes, and the investments I had I have with my grandsons now and finding that time then. Now I will tell you within the NIAAA, one of the persons that going way back and it was for when I first got on the board was Jim Watkins. Mm. And I'm not afraid to say that. I had no idea how much this guy, this guy started with the NIAAA in 1977. And in 1994, when I was with the board, Jim was there and I never knew all the things, but when I saw him, Jim Teff and Dr. Olson begin to put together what now is, what now has grown to the Professional Development Academy. Jim was so key in, he taught me about listening a little closer, about there's a lot of ideas out there, but at the end, you ultimately got to put it together. And it wasn't just that. Jim, Jim today, too, when he, when someone has a situation, let's make a phone call. So it's not just about the job. It's about about how important people are. And Jim was a mentor in that kind of, in that kind of way. Um, and I could, I mean, there's, there's so many with the NIAAA family what I, that I think about. I, I think about a Bruce Whitehead who I work with as an AD and how I got to know him through our state organization because he was from Indiana. And I got to see how he led. I mean, he was ambitious. He never stopped. He was relentless in what he did, no matter if he had his, and those kind of things just, I, I, they were part of my nature. And I thought, boy, I love being around people like that. Um, Mark, we were very fortunate because we had, we had people like, you know, like Jerry McGee, who encouraged me to become part of Kind of the AFERD organization. Look mm -hmm. where that took us when we got with AFERD. We developed the, what today is the Quality Program Award. Abs I mean, absolutely. I mean, who would have thought in 2005 when we sat there and we were challenged, hey, eight UADs haven't committed, submitted anything that's new or innovation. And then we sat at a, an awards program and we had an idea and we grew it with Dr. Olson and look where it is today. So you look at those kinds of experiences and I got to share that with you and we got to see that grow. <laughs> we didn't know that at that time, but look how big it is today. In fact, let me add, I'm overwhelmed with the number of QPA projects this year for some reason. There's just, <laughs> there's lots of them right going right now. Um, and I'm fine, I, I really wanna go outside the organization one more time. And I wanna give my very first principal some credit. That man, would come to my classroom, he'd watch, he'd call me in sometime later, and he never said, this is what you did, or this is what you did. He would always have questions said, what did you think the experience was like for your kids when you did this? What were you looking for? Is there anything you would change? Here are some suggestions. What do you think about this? He taught me about without saying this is a script. This is the way it's got to be. That was a key. That was a key leadership moment. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> you talked a little bit about what has now become the QPA. And before that, you talked about the Professional Development Committee. I want you... <clears throat> 
because if we go back to 2005, there was no professional development committee. We have plenty of leadership training courses, but speak to our audience a little bit about how that came to be. And of course, it includes uh, Ed and Sherry with the certification in, obviously you and Jim and uh, used to be Dr. John and many others. So explain how that is and exactly how that works now for, for the younger ADs out there. Okay, when leadership training started, um, you know, we had, we eventually in Nashville, we presented four courses that were developed, Dr. John, Jim and Jim had put those together in Nashville. They became very popular. But let me go back before that. One of the important concepts of developing the leadership under Frank Kovaleski's guidance was the fact that we needed to find how could we grow leadership so they would invest in other people? And how could we do that leadership invested within the NIAAA organization? So we had to give, we had to have some type of program that would help people realize how influential the athletic administration job was, how broad a topics it covered. And that's what Jim, Jim, and Dr. John began to do. Well, those ideas then began to grow. And after I, my presidency in 98, they asked me to come on and accept a position of guiding state coordinators, the people who would take these courses and grow them in their states, grow them such that people would become aware of what they were talking about, how to take those courses, when to take, you know, we had developed summer institutes, those kind of thing. Well, we know today how big that's grown. I mean, it's a state coordinator. So now we get the state coordinator program, the education of those people growing along with the leadership training program, but the other part of it, certification began to grow. The RAA, the CAA, the CMAA, and now we're into the international certification. Well, all that, all those, all those areas grew along with under the guidance of Al Sursland, who developed the idea, why don't we become accredited? We're like a university. We're like a school. What are we doing? We got all these things. We got evaluations. We got, you know, all the components of an education program. But as you know, we became accredited. We're an accredited institution now. So all of our work is receiving review every five years. And have been for, it's been over 10 years, because I know the first accreditation when I was on the board way back in, I want to say it was 10 or 11, way back in Orlando. So sorry to interrupt, yes, but yeah, exactly. That is correct. Right. Accreditation is yeah. huge. And we just finished, we just finished our accreditation this, for this next five years. We just finished that in January. So that, you know, we received the, I mean, high marks on our accreditation program again, and what we're doing in the education process. So with the evolution of that and the growing, the growing need, the connection for taking courses and the growing number of courses for the CAA certification, the CMA, we saw there needed to be a blend between the Leadership Training Institute and certification. You've got the training going on, you've got accreditation you're accountable for and the many components so all of a sudden, we thought, 
we need an academy that, that has all of these. So all the people that are heading up these different parts are in one room working together and sharing where they're going, what they're doing, and how it affects the other group, how leadership training is certification, certification affecting that, how accreditation drives what they're all doing. So that's how the evolution of the Professional Development Academy has, has, uh, has come about. Okay, so let me follow up with this question. And <clears throat> I know it's a huge task and people that attend in September know what it is, but I want you to talk about, I mean, it's a big deal. That coordinators conference that's was originally for LTI coordinators now includes certification and it's grown. I'll, I want to say there's got to be over a hundred people now attending uh, that second week in September. So talk about the huge task of running that. And of course, then the benefit that comes out of that, uh, that goes to each of the States. Well, first of all, yeah, it has grown. We had 109 in, in the last, last summit, 109 attendants. And the, the biggest task is, uh, let me go back one step. What has happened now is we have seen the evolution of the changeover on state leadership and coordinators. So managing that has become a big step. How do we get those people on board so they get into a big job that is bigger than it's been and get them prepared because the train's already going down the tracks. They don't have time to just do this and this. So setting up a mentoring orientation program is a big step. Why is it big? It's not only getting those people to believe that that, that experience is important, but it's getting mentors assigned during the session to help deliver the message and deliver it the right way. So or, organizing that theme is big. The second component is because we all are experiencing this is the technology part. Oh, yeah. And how do we help coordinators in their jobs become better with technology? But it's identifying. Here's the part that's it. It's identifying two things. What is it you're seeking in technology? What is it you don't know yet? And then second of all, who are who you are the deliver. people capable of delivering it? Sure. So getting that, getting that, I, I can't tell you that's a challenge. And this year we're changing it. I mean, our tech session, we used to just have a tech session, you know. This mm -hmm. year, our tech session, and let me say, the orientation, because there's so much interest, we had to ask the NIAAA, can we expand, one, the time at the hotel on Saturday, and can we expand the available rooms? Because... We want to have an orientation totally away from technology before the six and rotate. So that's getting all that logistic. Then you get to the next part, the part that's really quite a challenge, and that's the general session. Um, the general session is, okay, we're driven. We're driven by the event. And this is trying to get this point across to all coordinators attend. What are we missing? What do you want to see? How do you want to see it delivered? Who's got a story to tell? Who's got an experience that can really benefit the growth of our coordinators? So getting everyone to feel confident in themselves and give us those kind of sessions 
uh, that we can really enrich the experience. It's not both the experience just as a coordinator, we're trying to look at it as a personal experience too, growth. So we're trying to blend that in the summit. But realize, and you know this, Mark, when we started, we started 4.15 on Saturday mm-hmm. and, and we're done at, at 11 o'clock on Monday, we packed that thing with the number. I mean, oh, we yeah. just we just got to be right on target. And how do we, how do we, we can only continue to estimate the amount of time that it takes. So the preparation for that is it takes a lot of time. And I'm going to right now today, I'm going to shout out to Sherry Stice. And, and why do I do this? I, I had to have open heart surgery this winter. And I knew with that, that could stand in the way for us continuing to be able to do the things we want to do, especially for our February meetings. So I took it upon myself to communicate with Sherry and she has helped me with her wisdom and her experience. We have built this 2021 summit together and it continues to evolve. In fact, with her help, we're closer to having a final product than we have in the, in the history of it. I mean, we're ready to, really shout to the board in July, this is where we're at, maybe make some tweaks and those kinds of things. We do have to get a few more personnel on board, but we're close. But all of that's so important to work together. And the other part of it, she's on the certification side. So that gives us that blend of certification with LTI that we wanna have in that summit. And we want that experience for a coordinator to go back and be able to share the best of it, the best of it back with their state and how can they advance their program or maybe tweak it and turn it a different way. The same thing we do when we all go to a conference. Mm-hmm. We want to walk away with we want to walk away with just at least a couple ideas. And then the final part is, you know, mark the evolution of our new courses. We have two new courses and trying to fit them in. We rely upon the coordinators and we have told the authors right from the beginning that you're don't be offended don't be offended but you're gonna you're gonna be it's a tough group it's a tough group you're gonna and that's okay and i and i i'm gonna tell you something i learned that from dr olson dr olson always would say he said man he said i put on my i put on my armor when i go in there and you know he developed so many new courses and he'd come up there and he presented a new course and man he just and he was, he just, he taught us how to take it and grow from it. So we have the, we, you know, we're getting that as part of the whole program is so important. And then the final part is new courses that are on the slate. We've got, my goodness, we got six new courses that are in the future beyond this, that people have themes and are developing and sharing and getting the coordinators feedback, honest feedback. Is this where we want to go? Is this how we want to present it? Is this the material that should be in it? So we've got all that, all that part of it. And this has all got to be blended in this summit in this short period yes, of time. And, and I just uh, want to give you a big shout out because of course I've been attending for years and the evolution of the summit and what you and of course, Jim and the others doing and putting that on is, is absolutely incredible. Let me ask you this as we're getting close to wrapping up. What's one, what's one common myth about being an athletic administrator that you want to debunk that people out there have this certain idea about an AD and it's not really true and it doesn't really portray our job? 
I think the myth, you know, ADs, if they're good ADs, they're out in front of the crowd a lot. And, you know, when you're out in front of the crowd, people see you, you know, lingering among the group. And I think everybody has, most people who are in athletics have such a, they're in athletics because they're lifted up, they're inspired. Exactly. Right? They're inspired. It lifts their life. It's a new experience. It's excitement. They get to share that excitement, that inspiration. So they see this person out there who, in title, has put together this program. I want to be part of that. That looks like the job I want to do. And the myth is they think it's easy. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. That's the myth. They don't understand that all that preparation requires morning, noon, and night, at least six days a week, commit. Are you willing to do that? Is that something we want to do? Because when you make that commitment, you've got to change priorities in your life in other areas. I, can you balance that? I mean, are you able to balance that? And that's not on a able. Are you willing? Is it something you want to embrace? Because you can sure deviate from those things because of all the things that come in. And Mark, you know this. It, as an AD, if you've got an open door policy in your office, your coaches, because many of them are catching you between their class times mm -hmm. or they're one hour of prep, or you've got many more people that are not on staff as teachers who got to come in at the most inconvenient times and they're coming in. And when do you get your work done? That's exactly right. When do you get it done? I, I tell you when you get it done, you come in at six in the morning and you say, okay, these couple of things I'm going to get done, or you stay later at night, or you just finally say, one hour a day, I close the door, pull the shades down. I got to get this done. But at the same time, you're thinking about all these people that want to come see you. Absolutely. It's, it's constant motion. It's constant movement. And it's not just steady. Let me, yesterday, I, I called an AD who's working with me on the quality program as a reviewer. And I said, he said, hey, sounds like I caught you on road. He goes, yeah. He said, I I just got done with the review. I wanted to let get to you, but right now I got another AD friend. He's he needs some product here, some, and I'm I'm taking it over to him. He goes, you know what that's like. You got to share. You know, so those are the interruptions, and you're always wanting because your job as an AD is serving. Mm -hmm. If you're not serving, you're not probably embracing the passion you need for the job because that's what it's about. How to make people's experience better. That's what your role is. How do you make that experience that they're going to have that they thought was good how do you make it better and how do you how do you get rid of the roadblocks your job is to identify those roadblocks and that's not that's not always easy you've got to have a perspective to identify those roadblocks um yeah that's that's a great answer donna thanks so much for sharing that because i think that's for those that are listening out there they they should probably rewind that and listen to that again because it is a myth about how oh, I just want to be the athletic director and look, he just gets to stand around. He gets to go to all the games and it's certainly much more than that. Let, let me close up with a couple of questions. The first one is if you had two suggestions for a brand new athletic director and 
when I say brand new, I think between one and four years. What two things would be a must for them in order for them to be successful? Well, first of all, I think have integrity. Have integrity. You have to know you can absolutely be trusted. And with that, you got to be able to maintain, listen to this, do you know what the definition of a quality attitude is? A quality attitude. I think the other thing is um, find out who has taken leading roles in developing their athletic programs and connect, connect with them. Let them be your mentor. Trust them to help guide you. Someone you can go to when you have circumstances or situations. So you're building that relationship. I think the other thing is get involved. Don't stand on the sideline. Get involved, you know, with your professional organizations. And why would I have you get involved? Because when you get involved, you're going to meet leaders who are doing things probably the most outstanding ways you can ever imagine. And you're going to come up with new innovations with your involvement. You're going to, they're going to teach you without you knowing it. And they're going to give you new ideas how you can guide your program. So getting involved helps to grow your learning capacity. And as an AD, you should be not just an AD. You should be a lifelong learner. Absolutely. If you're a lifelong learner, you're always going to find purpose in your day now and for every day to eternity. That's that's what that lifelong learner is. So those are the things I would suggest. Thank you. Let's finish with this final question. What question should I have asked you that I failed to ask you, Don? I think I, and I wrote this down. I, I really I believe in this. How does an athletic director inspire passion for quality involvement. How does an athletic director inspire passion for quality involvement? Well, then how does an athletic director inspire passion? Well, I think the one thing is you gotta know, you gotta know your, your players. You've got to take time. An example is, you know, when a day ended at 3.15, it wasn't that I, the day was over till the events I had to set up at 5.15. I made a point to go out to the athletic field and have a conversation. I'd go from one practice to the other and just have a conversation with my staff. Sure. The second thing is, I would always say, hey, how about you come in? And then somewhere in the season, I'd have come in and we'd talk about what they felt was going well, what that wasn't going well, what stood in the well, because I wanted to know I, them I had interest, but at the same time, I wanted them to, uh, here's some kind of things I see. And you inspire passion by showing your passion. And showing passion is an investment. It's an investment of with your experiences, so that passion will grow as, as you grow in your way, and then you share it. That's how you grow passion in your program. Because it may not seem at the time with it, but I'm going to tell you in the result, nine times out of ten, when people passed, they came back and said, this is, this is what I admired about what you did while you were there. Thank you so much for sharing that.
For our audience, that wraps up another edition of the UIAAA Connection. Once again, our guest today has been Don Bales, CMAA, and I might add, NIAAA legend, at least, pretty famous amongst all the people among the United States. Thanks so much, Don, for being here today. Mark, it was, it certainly was a privilege. It's, 